0: Okay, well, welcome to Transformation Alley by 24G, which is a new podcast that explores some of the trends and challenges of companies going through digital transformation. And I'm Rich Foley. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at 24G, and I'm sitting here right now with Scott Wiemels, who's the 24G CEO. Hi Hello. Gene, Scott. Doing well. Yep, yeah, I appreciate you being here. Um, we also have a special guest today. Our special guest is Betsy Matz, who's the Executive Director of Experiential Production for Zarnowski, which is one of the larger. Experiential collectives in the com- in the country, um, with offices all over the United States and elsewhere. Uh, welcome, Betsy. It's so cool to have you here.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, we have lots to talk about. We were we've uh, are a partner of Zarnowski on many projects and worked very closely with Betsy, especially, I mean, before the pandemic, of course, uh, with some of your uh, physical events and some of the digital layers that you guys put into some of your events, but also in the uh, during the pandemic, we sort of uh, scrambled together, as it were, uh, to sort of put together digital solutions for companies that came knocking on your door and ours to help them navigate some of the problems of that. We're going to talk about all that today. But what I thought would be cool to start with Betsy is really sort of a sense of what's happening right now. Um, you guys really built your name on live events in the in the universe, and the world, and, and they went away for a long time, but they're coming back and they seem to be coming back with a vengeance. But I wanted to ask you, from your perspective, somebody who built her career on live event production, uh, what are you seeing at Zarnowski? What's happening right now?
1: Well, if you took a look at my calendar, my travel schedule, you'd find that uh, I can corroborate that live events are coming back. Um, they're coming back, as you said, with a vengeance. Although that seems a little um, pessimistic, they're, a, a more optimistic word would be they're they're back in full swing. Um, of course, there's uh, new safety protocols. There's new um, concerns. Uh, we're approaching them in a in a different way. People are some clients are a little bit more um, measured in their approach to bringing back live, and we're seeing a lot still a lot of hybrid. But uh, absolutely, um, Zarnowski is is pleased to see live events really coming back, including uh, trade shows and auto shows all over the world. Of course, Shanghai Auto Show was sort of the first one to come back in that space. And then now uh, lots of brand activations, um, product launches, things like that happening in a live environment, press events finally coming back. Um, So people are ready and uh, we are busier than ever. And um, we're seeing a a huge upswing back to live events.
0: It's excellent. I know that um, that when during that sort of digital uh, period where it was all virtual all the time, I really felt like there was a lot of folks on the Zarnowski squad who were like, "What is going on? How are we going to sort of, sort of navigate this?" I feel like you guys have your sea legs again, and everybody's sort of jumping back. What Scott and I were talking about earlier is like these all the concerts we're seeing, all the things that are happening, all the tour buses that are being rented. Are you seeing it all happen all at once that everybody wants their events sort of at the same time? And what sort of smash and crash is happening on your side as you guys navigate all the people jumping back in?
1: Yeah, smash and crash is a a perfect description. Um, You know, you and I have talked about this, but I really feel like what's happening is the pendulum is swinging way back the other way. Um, People were so uh, inundated with the virtual digital solutions for so long by necessity that there's such a, a hunger to get face to face that we are seeing people packing. Summertime, which is traditionally actually a quieter time, for, for brand activations, live events, um, because it's really more of a season for, like you said, concerts, things like that, um, is all of a sudden packed with with activations because people need to get back out in front of their consumers. They need to get back out in front of their B2B contacts. And so we're seeing a huge amount of road shows going out, um, things that are smaller activations, not necessarily as big. Um, but yes, the, ping, the pendulum swung way far the other direction. We're seeing mostly live. But I do believe it's going to settle back in um, into a more hybrid solution towards the fall and the winter um, as we sort of see how things play out with the pandemic, with vaccinations and things like that. But yeah, it's a smash and crash right now. People are just scheduling on top of scheduling on top of scheduling.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll talk about the hybrid thing in a little bit. I'm excited to sort of talk about what that might mean. But we're seeing the same thing, Scott, at 24G, a lot of our, our, our uh, partners like you. Betsy and Zarnowski are starting to come knocking again, and it was it was dry. There was nothing happening on that space. A, a good chunk of our business went out the door as well. Um, but Scott, you're 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 now in in the midst of all this too, seeing all the 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 commentary, the requests come in to 24G as well on the experiential side.
2: Yep, yeah, and it's it seems like it's it is back to normal, if not more, for the for the summer season. You know, the amount of uh, proposals that we're responding to is just you know. It went from a trickle of one to two a month to five to ten a week, um, and it's it 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 seems like the demand also. It's it's events, right? So it's always not as much time as you want, but it's as much time as you're used to. And <laughs> it and on the other side, if it is nice, even though we are a virtual company, it's a, you know the common expectation and understanding of what we're producing and and how it gets done is there.
1: We've worked together, Twenty Four G and Zarnowski, in. You guys, as you said, layering in sort of engagement pieces that come more from the digital side. And we're seeing a huge demand for that as well. It's not only that live events are coming back, but it's almost like people are super sensitive to making sure there's lots of engagement and touch points. Like it's almost like it's a coming out party again for a lot (laughs) of our clients. They want to make sure that anything that they're bringing to the table for their consumers has like a million different places to collect data. To, they, they loved that piece, right, of of the, of the pandemic scenario. They loved getting all that information. So we are, you know, I'm sure you guys are just as busy as we are, and, and I happen to know that you are, and, and that's exactly right. We had one to two coming in a month, and now we're at five to ten. I would say that's about right for us as well.
2: Yeah, the good majority of those requests are coming from Czar, so <laughs> we're aligned. There. No, but it is interesting because there is more of like a data component that was not there prior. You know, it's more upfront about, I want to see how this is doing. I want to see how are we connecting with the users and, and pushing them from one place to another. That that trend uh, is more than it used to be immersive digital and yeah, collect data. It seems to be more upfront in the, in the requests coming in.
0: Yeah, I think that was one of the things that, that really happened in the virtual era. People really got very specific data about use how long people were engaging what they were doing when in each room they're in uh, how many people they talked to or met or or how many people actually came into the the virtual booth i mean that data was just one of the bonuses i think of the of the virtual era that i think as scott said people are coming out saying how can i recreate that now in that physical event space where i get that kind of specificity on the data that's happening
1: yeah we're Uh, absolutely seeing that they want to calculate rois and kpis and we can now do that by laying those things in. And, and certainly our clients are much more aware of it than they ever were in the past.
2: That's an interesting transition because I think there's two things that have happened. That's been happening for a while, like the, the that that migration or that desire, because I think the clients that were the older clients that are retiring, they loved having the glossy PowerPoint, you know, with the big pictures of people. And that was their proof of success. Uh, and I think as the, uh, the new... The millennials and and the extras are are are, are coming into their own. Uh, the demand for data is there because it's always been there for them. So while they still want the glossy PowerPoint that shows what happened at the event, they want the the data slides that go right behind that that
0: they can plug into Tableau yeah. or their or you know Power BI or whatever yeah. they're using now to sort of prove that stuff. Um, and they
1: don't want the glossy PowerPoint. They want the content capture sizzle video with all of the stats in flashy motion graphics. You know, <laughs> so it's it, you're right. It's there is a little bit of changing of the guard, especially in event marketing that's been happening for the past 10 years and this seems to have just, you know, boosted it. We I, I always said, Rich, to you when we were going through the, the pandemic era together, so you know, we're we're advancing five years and five months, right? This was all everything that was happening were things that were going to happen, but it was just now happening at such an on such an expedited timeline. Um, So I think even across live events, as we come back, it's going to be the same sort of thing. Things are going to start moving very quickly um, and evolving very quickly. So we're all going to have to stay diligent and stay on our feet.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's a cool uh, segue as well. The acceleration uh, of change that happened during the pandemic. I mean, Betsy, I know I see your enthusiasm for the return to the live event world, but I'm going to take (laughs) you back if it's cool to rewind a little bit to March 2020, when we were working on a project together for South by Southwest, it was one of the first big conferences to fall. Um, And you know, we had done some really cool things with you at the US Open, with Mercedes and lots of digital activities. And and we were doing something similar for one of your clients at South by Southwest, a very big um, uh, activation and then that went down and suddenly the world shifted and your world shifted and our world shifted and you were getting calls from all of your clients and we were getting calls from our clients as a digital provider and it just got intense but the the reality was that we were working with uh, in a world that was not there yet i mean if you if you you know zoom was not a thing um i mean it was there but it certainly wasn't a thing and that yet the client expectations for the virtual event world were very, very high. I mean, it was not as if they they wanted to give anything up. And so we were all building these custom solutions, running around like chickens with our heads cut off. But I want to go back to, for you, at Zarnowski, that switch, that that hard pivot you had to make. And I'd love to hear more about like what went down in your offices when it all became clear that the, everything was changing on a dime.
1: Um, I mean, it was a huge learning curve. Um, we, as you said, have uh, always, relied on uh, mostly vendor partners um, to create our digital experiences for us. We do have an in-house visualization company um, that you know does some of that kind of work, but anything we were doing in the live event space prior to March, 2020, we were mostly working with outside uh, agencies like 24G. Um, and when our clients came to us and said, what do we do? There wasn't really a um, executive leader That was already in place to create, you know, create an emergency plan and to start getting ahead of um, how to keep the business afloat. Of course, no one knew how long it would last. Um, No one knew really. Like you said, there wasn't exactly a standard anywhere for for any of this. The technology was at a was at a place then that it seems light years away from where we are now because uh, it, it evolved so fast. So we we really had a quite a few conundrums to address. We didn't have infrastructure internally to manage. Our third our third party or our partner groups like 24G were also completely inundated with requests um, and with work. And then we also um, had clients that had no clue how to manage it. And we're just trying to keep their jobs, frankly. Most of our clients obviously are in marketing or events or corporate communications. So as the world stopped turning, there were a lot of people that were just looking at how do I spend my budget so I look like i How do I stay in touch with my customers? How do I make sure, uh, especially in the corporate meeting space, I still have to have these meetings? How do I do that? Um, and so we really have this very, very steep learning curve to to address very, very quickly. Um, and that I think uh, was it seemed like an onion. Like we just kept peeling back layers <laughs> and going. But what do we do about this? But what do we do about this? So I, you know, I was one of the folks at Zarnowski that did have enough of a digital background and had been working with with people like the team at 24 G long enough that um, I think it was better educated than most. Um, so I took a, a key role in trying to turn us over quickly into a virtual events company. Um, we certainly learned a lot along the way. One of the things, and I want to address one of the things you talked about, which was client expectations. One of the things we really, I'm going to be completely honest with you, stepped in it on was having client expectations be far too high. Um, We needed to mitigate expectations about um, execution and results. So the way that the technology works and the things you can control and the things you can't control. And then also that without adoption, we can make a great virtual event. We can make a great site. We can make a great digital experience, but you know, the world only moves your consumers only move as fast. Your internal people only move as fast as they move. So even just the adoption, we needed to, We needed to be better, more knowledgeable for our clients on the strategy of virtual events so that we could manage their expectations um, instead of just focusing on what we normally do, which is, you know, great execution, great content Um, without audience acquisition. And that piece of it, we were, uh, you know, those all that data is great. But if the data doesn't show that you've had really great hits or really great conversion or any of those things and the data actually works against you right because all of a sudden something that was supposed to prove how much you know uh, return you're getting on this investment all of a sudden shows that maybe you're not getting quite the visibility that you want so i know that was kind of a, a long way around some of your questions but uh just to recap you know yes steep learning curve we very quickly put an infrastructure in place and we learned very quickly in the first few months um how we needed to manage our clients' expectations, and I think that if we had if we had if we had done that even sooner, we would have had uh, an even greater success. And we had great success. We produced over a hundred virtual events in a year uh, for a company that maybe produced ten virtual events in the last ten years. I think that that was a, a pretty fast pivot for us. So I was proud of our team for that.
0: Yeah, and Betsy, you you became the sort of de facto expert, as you said. I mean, because you had some experience, <laughs> and stepped into it. But there was a team that you had to bring with you, and and a sales team, and and a production team, and and then the clients, as you mentioned. And there was a there was a a heck of a lot of frustration at the beginning phases because it was so unknown, and I think people just aren't comfortable with that. Um, but back to this idea of having to pull your own team forward, um, a reluctant team sometimes because it was so different than what they had been doing. They knew it was the direction to go, but it. But they also had to put their their fates in someone else's hands to some degree. They had to work with third parties. They had to just assume that it was all going to work, and of course they wanted to sell, like you've always sold. But it's a totally new world, and um and we had to do the same thing here. And I would love you and Scott to sort of compare notes on on how you manage that internally at your various places.
2: I just love that you used the onion analogy, because it was, because every layer you peeled back, you're like, I think it might be the last, but there was, and there was always some tears involved. Because it was, for all of us, it was a moment where, uh, even if we're a digital solution provider, right, and we help with the digital transformation, we had never done that many complex programs at once. You know, It was really taking a lot of the technology that we have on our enterprise side of our business uh, where you're setting the large platforms that have to work 100% of the time with large users and converting that product in real time to support our, our experiential um, you know, uh, partners and customers. And that was it was a moment where, you know, we would build two to three of those in a year, and the customer would use them for two to three years before they would you know, maybe change their solutions up. Uh, and now we are building them, you know, one every week and having to tear them down the next week. Right. (laughs) And and so it happened, that tide happened, that turn happened so fast from the, you know, from we can do this to we're doing this at a a volume that is more than I've ever seen, you know, and typically, you know, with the experiential work, uh, you're making something in the past. I think this is going to change forever you know, it's not small screen experiential, right, where they're doing it on their devices. It's it's more big screen ex- experiential, being that you have mm-hmm. a kiosk or a large screen and there are people are interacting with that. Uh, and and that was the immersive digital, digital experience. And now it's it's the opposite. It had to be on everybody's device and it had to be with video chat and permissions. And it was just such a, and then by the way, the deadlines didn't change, the pressure of live experiential. And, and, and again, I think that's where for us to strategy and onboarding it was new to us to even set expectations with you know with czar and others because it was just it was so new to us too and so you're writing your best practices uh in the fire right of how this is going to happen uh and and i I think it it, while it was it was a challenge i think that, that the industry is going to be forever changed because you know i think that that desire to now have that small screen interaction is going to be something that's going to be around for a while you know and, and like i said back in the day it would be on a big screen and you have one screen that, in one you know pc that might be driving that with some maybe cloud technology behind it but it was it was just had to be on that and you'd come to us and say i need this changed in two hours and we'd say sure but now it's like i need this change in two hours and by the way there's ten thousand devices out there that it has to work on right so that was that was uh it was new for us yeah, yeah but- and
1: certainly on our side of the business, we did not understand the ones and zeros of how this all goes together. I mean, certainly our sales team didn't, didn't understand exactly what the timelines really could be. Um, our production team was learning it and I think, you know, adapted quicker than most teams uh, on our side of the business. But, you know... the the digital guys are even saying we were a little unprepared. So you can imagine on the agency side, how incredibly unprepared we were to manage. Scott, you said, you know, the timelines didn't change. You're exactly right. In fact, they accelerated because people were going, I have to get something going. Um, And so I think that was probably the first big hurdle, uh, Rich, as you mentioned, that we went through together as partners was even just, Slowing the the fire hydrant, you know, just saying like we can't say yes to everything. We want to say yes to everything, but that's it's physically impossible. It's a it's a recipe for failure. And so, learning to say no was a a big huge moment for I think both of our companies. Um, and maybe that's where a little bit. Of the uh, of the tension arose because you guys had to say no. It was in it was in the client's best interest for you to say no to certain things, and we needed to pass that no along. I don't know that it was always that easy for our team to do um, because we're all yes people, right? We're yeah. in we're in event marketing. We're yes people. We make things happen. We say yes, and so to be in a situation where it's just literally physically impossible to, to QA and to and to build those things in the amount of time that we have with the kind of functionality that we needed. Um, and like you said, and then also to think about strategically, will this work from the perspective of it being, uh, being even a good experience, not even just from the tech side, but from the actual experience side, when people are sitting in their kitchens yelling at their kids, um, you know, looking at it on their phone. I mean, like you said, Scott digital immer- immersive digital usually in a live scenario is immersive truly right it's it's invi- it can be environmental you've got a lot of different simulations now all of a sudden we're having to think about not only from the tech side but from the from the content side people are just sitting sitting in there looking at their computer screens so how how does that all work? So i think there was just like a cascade of learnings that um that we that we made really you know in the first six months that helped us um but we were already sort of in a pickle by then because we had more work that we could do
0: well what's interesting what you said about these because you're right it was about six months of that churn but meanwhile under under the surface under our feet the technology was actually improving rapidly yes. and 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 the, and there are new companies coming into the fold to provide services and people had more options and, and selections and And everything was just getting more streamlined Um, and like keeping up, not only like handling an event with 25,000 people that you just had to make work, but also understanding how things are improving and how fast things are improving and being able to communicate that back to your team was also really challenging challenging for, for not only us, but I, I saw it for you as well.
2: Well, yeah, because you'd have it where one, one month you'd be like, "I we can't do that. And then the next month, because of the demand, there was some cloud provider that created some sort of service that we could now integrate into the, the platform experience. Be like, oh, yeah, now we can do that. Yeah. You know, and it would and it'd be like, you just told me, you know, but it was literally that iterative process of trying out new technologies and immediately deploying them in the next instance of the job that you have coming. And so it, it hurt a little bit the credibility, but it was because everything was read. Rapidly developing, including Food, like the yeah. including the, the, the this ecosystem to support it, right? So and and then throw into it. uh, By the way, when you're handling ten thousand IT uh, uh, or ten thousand participants that work for a corporation, IT and security wants to get involved as well. So yeah,
1: we we went through (laughs) that one a few times, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, and they and they didn't know what to think of these things, right? They didn't have that understanding that this is a most likely a one and done. This is not a site that's going to live on. So the security. you know, features and, and, and levels of security that we needed to pass might not be exactly the same. We had a, a lot of that kind of thing. And and on the czar side, we had to dedicate a person just to keeping up with the new technology, figuring like, what you know, being a subject matter expert of what the available platforms were, what uh, would work best in what use case. And uh, it, it became a completely full-time job just to track that those changes. And you're right, Scott, it was hard because the minute we said this is a great solution, there might be another great solution, or there might be something that was a better fit for our clients. So we had to focus really hard, and then you, you know, then you have to communicate that out to your teams because you know we're a fairly large company, global company. Then to to keep everybody up to date and abreast is another challenge. So yeah, just you know, talking about it, it was very challenging. No wonder I was so crazy last year.
0: <laughs> not to mention, in the virtual world, um, you're not just doing with with the with the time zones. And the countries and the different areas, you weren't doing like four different shows. You were doing essentially the same show, but w- across the time zones, kind of following the sun and and the incredible pressure of a 24 hour like period of four shows that were happening. And then throw China into the mix which, with all the challenges and, and stuff we had to learn there. It was just uh, absolute um Sort of gleeful chaos um you know there was lots of fun and it was also incredibly hard and painful at times as well as we sort of discovered on the fly say that china has you know issues with some of the features that we that we had built
2: yeah we now have a partner in china for that but i uh, you know just because you can have the platform translated to mandarin doesn't mean it's going to work in a communist country i think that's <laughs> the the lesson learned there Um, But, uh, again, it was happening so fast that it it went from, oh, yeah, we're going to have a few people in China to, you know, it it was, you know, the video technology and communication. China doesn't like letting that kind of stuff in. That's true. So.
1: No, and they and they can turn it off anytime they want. That was the thing is even if we could get all of the right approvals, every even if everything was done, every I was dotted and T was crossed. And that, and that goes for, um, you know, internet outages. It goes for, for, you know, IBM servers going down. I mean, there's just a certain amount. And this was, I think, like I said, with client expectations, there's just a certain amount of this that absolutely is completely outside of your control. That's true in live events too, but I, I feel it much more deeply because if they're only connected by this one string, then if you cut that string for, and and have to take the time to retie it, you know, you've, you've you've got a total disconnect, um, literally and figuratively. Uh, and, it, you know, you said gleeful chaos. I just want to also mention that as we're talking about all these challenges, I also want to celebrate that we had a lot of wins in this space. I think that we, that the process was often so painful that we didn't celebrate our wins enough, um, but we had a lot of wins in, in the virtual space, 24G and ZR together and also separately. So I just want to make sure that I'm sort of tempering Talking about all these challenges, with talking about the fact that we did, you know, come a long way. We we put out some of the best uh, products and events that I that I saw throughout the the pandemic. Um, it it was not always gleeful, um, but but I do want to make sure we mention that you know there were some really good moments um, that were not challenges.
0: Oh, there really were. I mean, I I feel like um, you know I'm I'm really proud of that that whole period. I do think there was some some pain that you you deal with when you're working on new things. But I, I looked at how everyone rallied and came together. And to your point, some of the changes that had to be made literally on the fly and to see like so, how, how humans respond to that is... Um, Is pretty amazing and but i think one of the challenges we saw betsy was that when we were joking earlier about this lewis ck joke where he talks about like he's in flight and the internet isn't working and there's only been internet on flights for like what however long and people are 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 furious that the internet's not working on their plane in the sky and and i think people's expectations really adjusted quickly they expected things to work and i think we all rose that challenge and and wanted to Kind of put everything behind the curtain. We didn't want any of that that chaos or, or confusion to show.
2: Well, that's live event though, right? Because even when something goes wrong, you don't break a sweat. You, the, you know, you you react on the fly, and a lot of times the customer doesn't know. But there's so many variables in this where what the wrong could be, uh, it, you you couldn't you weren't in, in in a place to be able to fix it. Say you have a, one of the most important executives that's at his house, and he's got four kids, and they're all on Netflix right and now it's yeah. like the video is horrible you you know, <laughs> yeah, what yeah. streaming provider are you using it's like it's not our streaming provider it's your netflix streaming provider that's the problem but like you know in real time trouble when when you're in a live event and also what i have always loved about live event is it very addicting but it's the camaraderie of the people that you work with that have your back and you're all in a physical space together and doing that virtually i thought was pretty challenging because as soon as you're off the call that chemistry is broken because you're back into your own silo on your desk working on a specific task to get something done to move something forward it's not like that live event where y- I, you truly feel like you're in the trenches together you know yeah. and, that, and that, that, that I found very hard to replicate from a team perspective uh, when you're in the middle of those firefights and everyone's
0: but, in their own homes working from their computers you know and it's
2: just like yeah, that, yeah. but that chemistry on site even when things are, are going sideways but you know that you have the, the team there to, to the squad as you say you know that's that's special and I yeah. found that that it was hard for that uh, in, in the virtual space to really recreate that. Um, but, but again, to your point, it, it, it wasn't all bad. Uh, but innovation is not born on a warm summer day in a lawn chair with a beer. Uh, innovation is born in the fire of when things are most difficult and challenging. That's how things move forward. We just happen to have a year and a half of innovation. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, Betsy, you talked about earlier that,
0: like, uh, you know, everybody's sort of running towards uh, live physical events again, and and, uh, at least for the moment, not as concerned with the virtual component, but that you believe that there's a pendulum kind of effect happening and that there is going to be. And we've already talked about some of the data needs. And I think there's some things that are more subtle than people even recognize that they're sort of building into their physical event. But I'm curious as we talk about what hybrid events mean, and and I know Zarnowski has done a lot of work on this, assuming that that's gonna be the norm as we go forward. What is it in your definition and Zarnowski's definition of what hybrid means and where do you see the the synthesis between not just the digital side of of physical events that we've always worked with you on, that sort of hitting a tennis ball against against a touch screen, but more like that sort of virtual component that we all worked on for so long in the last year, mixed in with the physical event. How do you see that coming together?
1: Um, I think it's going to, we, yes, Sarnowski's kind of put together sort of a strategic approach called hive thinking uh, hybrid live. And um, you know, we are picking up a lot of steam with that with customers. It depends on their industry. It also depends on their global reach. Um, I don't think global travel is going to come back ever business travel like it, like it was. So I don't know that people are going to be flying across the globe to attend meetings or events, which means that there likely will always have to be some sort of um, virtual solution, even if that's just a simple live stream. We are seeing that as people are are approaching virtual now, the virtual component of their event, it's much more simplified, right? It's not, it doesn't have the feature set that they needed when it was a solely virtual event. So my feeling is that we are going to see a a a big boom through the summer um, that people are gonna be spending the majority of their budgets on the live activation. Um, And we'll get to budgets in a minute because that's another sort of factor in this. Um, And then as we see into the fall, they're going to realize that they're not getting the kind of attendance that they were expecting uh, in the live environment and that they will, that they need to add in some sort of a virtual component in order to get the same type of uh, engagement that they were having pre-pandemic. The other thing, as I said, budget is people are learning now that if you are, you know, whether you're doing it for 200 people or 2000 people, that live event costs the same amount of money, right? So if you want to do that live event, and then you need to add a virtual component on to get the other 1800 people involved, that costs more money, And so I think that's another thing that's happening is people are sort of negotiating, figuring out, okay, what is the investment in the virtual compared to the live? You know, how many how how much am I going to capture through this virtual? So I think there's just a lot of um, sort of like the beginning of the pandemic. There's a lot of sort of uh, confusion around where people should be placing their dollars, how they should be engaging. I think that's going to continue to evolve and clear up as we get into the fall and we're going to see people getting um, back into adding a virtual component. As I said, maybe a little more simplistic than it was, um, you know, during the pandemic, but certainly, you know, live streaming is huge, right? Streaming. And, and that's going to be a big piece of it is that if you're having some sort of a live event, you at le- the very least, it's streamed out to an audience that can comment and interact and that um, can still be a part of the event, even if they're not there in person.
0: Yes, yeah, Scott. What do you because um, we the, the the virtual platform that we built? There's some features now as we move into the physical world that we're getting a lot of interest in, like the content library and and some other elements or or extended uh, sponsor opportunities. What what are you seeing from the platform that we built and hearing from some of the work that you've done recently that where that virtual platform has value in that physical event space?
2: You know, it just depends on the client. I see, because that, that my thing is I feel like hybrid, I love, by the way, Zarnowski's Hive. I, I think that's an excellent way to approach because it immediately sets the strategic um, conversation to have with the customer. Um, and I, I really do like that uh, because in the end, what live and hybrid looks like, it depends on the customer. It depends on the why. What are they trying to achieve? Because for the conference providers, you have... Um, you have the the need that they're what i think they're waking up to realize i can monetize two audiences right i, I have a live mm-hmm. and i have a hybrid they may want something more like a full-fledged vxp or comparable experience because they're actually trying to uh, get them to uh they're, they're realizing that some people may not have ever gone to their events and now they'll they'll attend something that's maybe a little bit more of a robust interactive program So that's, that's my, my, you know, my thought with that. But then what it means to other customers is more on the brand activation side. What does it mean to have a, a a comparable brand experience that is online that complements the live event? Uh, And one of the the ideas that we were riffing with the client with uh, a few weeks ago was they were looking at doing, it was like an escape room. And so they were looking at creating a physical escape room where they would use, you know, we'd be using Raspberry Pis and maybe videos to capture the actual interaction in that escape room. That becomes a branded activation asset, but then We've also done virtual escape rooms, right? So why not combine those two things together where the shareable asset of their friends experiencing that brand, you know, the brand experience of that escape room uh, can then then be used as a shared leveraged asset of when they share that with their social followers, that they they can then experience the virtual, uh, you know, one that's happening in the, in the virtual space. So I think what it means will mean different things to the different customers. But those are the two things that I've seen is like, how do you leverage the brand activation and maybe find a qualitative way that you can provide the people who share out from that brand activation, a comparable experience. And then on the conference goer side, how can I monetize a virtual audience while maintaining my, my, uh, my live audience? And do I want them to interact, to have a meaningful collective experience?
1: That's, that's, I was about to say that Scott is that you, you bring up a really interesting point. When we first started going back into live, uh, there was a huge demand from clients. I need my at-home audience my, my virtual audience to feel connected to my, law, my live audience. Um, I think they're realizing that that is not necessarily completely conducive or um, pivotal to the success. That it, there is an opportunity for there to be two different experiences. And this is also something they learned when they were purely virtual. They were always trying to recreate the experience of being there live. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Being in a virtual audience is different than being in a live audience. Not embracing that and figuring out what is the right way to engage these individual um, a, a groups of attendees, from my perspective, is is one of the things that we need to learn from our mistakes during the during the purely virtual period. And as we're coming back into into hybrid um, and and Hive, we really need to say, look. Think really carefully about whether your particular event needs that. Do you need those audience members that are live in person to really interact? And we're not really seeing a huge amount of desire or success there. So while you said some, maybe they do, uh, maybe there's there's use cases for it. I think it's also about evaluating each particular business case and saying, you know what, your live audience should have this experience And your virtual or digital audience should have this experience. This is how we tie those things together. And it's not necessarily by video chatting the two. Right. Um, It may be something different.
2: I I agree with you completely. And that's the why of what you're trying to do. Because there's some sort of uh, key performance indicator, some sort of driver that they're trying to make. It should be based on taking that audience and, and making that KPI happen. It's not about... Making them interact together, and if I could just tell a little anecdote, because when, when when we were when we were uh, checking out other virtual platforms, and a lot of people took it very literally, like they built virtual con- uh, convention centers, right? And so right. Rich and I, Rich and I had the opportunity to do one of those where it's like an avatar that you can walk around, and it was like almost like more like roadblocksy than it was like very VR slicky. And there's both of those solutions out there, and I've seen them both. But this one, it was like the characters were all clunky, and as I'm like walking to get to the the exhibit booth that I'm trying to go. I'm like, this is everything I actually hate about a trade show that I now have yeah. to do virtually. <laughs> and yeah. there was, there, there was this one point where they had a keynote speaker and this is like a big, like uh, world health organization kind of thing, talking about COVID uh, that I was able to get us a couple of tickets to. And, um, they had the, the, the lecture hall where this guy was speaking and he has a little avatar on spa, on, on, on stage doing his thing and talking and then they had the iMags behind him of the actual guy on video. I'm like, that's cool. There was no permission. So there's one guy from the audience walked up on stage and was jumping on the head <laughs> <Yeah>. of the <laughs> keynote speaker. And they're like, uh, George from Alabama, we, we can see you. Can, can you please get off the stage? And he's just yeah. sitting there jumping on the keynote guy. And it's a very serious topic. And yeah. it's like, you know, it's, it's those kind of things. Like, you know, I, I just think, again, if you do it wrong, there's a moment to, to finally to challenge the why you're doing it, and I think the, that your perspective is exactly right. It's not about necessarily having them video chat together. It's about what are you trying to achieve, and if you trust us, help uh, let us help you figure out the best way to do that both live and virtual, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And and it's not going to be a solution of just recreating that physical space. Mm -hmm. Um, and It's not going to be a solution of just making sure they can video chat with each other. It really has to drive some sort of performance indicator that is converting the audience to whatever the the behavior action is uh, that the client's trying to, to achieve.
1: And that's like just par for the course for events in general, live or virtual or hybrid or anything. You always have to take it case by case. That's one of the interesting and also challenging things about This kind of work, especially in an agency environment like we we both are, where we have multiple clients and they they all have different business cases. And even within one client group, they may have lots of different business cases. And it's really about making that evaluation. I think what's made this particularly hard um, in hybrid and, and in virtual is that, you know, we just we've had years and years and years of experience of making evaluating those things and, and figuring it out from a, a live events perspective. It was just about, like we said, the acceleration of having to figure that out very, very quickly, learn from mistakes very, very quickly, uh, create strategies um, on the turn of a dime, and then convince our our clients to use those strategies. Because some of, some of the time you can tell people, you don't want a, you know, a a a clunky robloxy avatar driven virtual event hall. That's not going to add anything to your experience but Buy gum if they want it; they're gonna have it, you know. And they're gonna spend all that budget that could have been, you know, dumped into content or things that engagements or things that would really make a difference in the attendee experience are now all of a sudden dumped into, um, you know, some some clunky 3D environment or whatever. And sometimes that's appropriate, sometimes it's not. But yeah, I think you think you're exactly right. There was just a there's a little bit of learning on on our side that had to happen, and there's a lot of convincing our clients that no, we've we've watched these things succeed and we've watched them not succeed as much. So let us let us help you come up with a solution that's custom to what your business problem is.
0: Yeah, we saw that, Betsy, even in the when it was all virtual for a while with, with the Simulive versus live component, we're really kind of convincing some of the clients that, because um, yeah. they're so used to everything being live in a live event, but understanding that when you moved into virtual that the idea of Simulive, pre-recorded content that appears live and that you can even answer, you can follow up with live questions afterwards. Is, is is maybe safer and better and and more predictable uh, for the event like that?
1: Yeah, that was a big one. It's like, why? Why are you taking this risk? What are you gaining from it? You're not you're not gaining anything from this. So listen to us and 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 you know let us let us. Of course, we were, as you said, establishing best practices as we went along. But we very early on had a few, you know, and uh, and trying to get clients on board with that was a little bit little bit daunting at first, although. Um, I think particularly we had some clients that started with us, went away to other providers and sure enough, circled right back around Czar and 24G because they went, oh, you you guys are actually quite good at this. And some of the things you were saying to us, we probably should have listened to. So we had, you know, we had that happen quite often, I believe.
0: Man, I think that that handholding was so important during that whole time. Um, and it, it was really one of those things where everybody just needed to know somebody was in their corner and an and off the shelf solution sometimes just doesn't do that because you're just left to your own devices to figure it out. And and because we were often figuring out some of the new features with them, I mean, we were there to hold hands throughout the entire thing. I think it really helped. And um, it helped when we were working with you guys as well. I think that was one of the things that I loved about the partnership yeah. with Zarnowski. I mean, we were really we were really in it with you guys. And, uh, and it was it was ultimately, I think, really beneficial for both companies.
1: Um, oh, it was, absolutely. It was a great partnership. And uh, even even though, as Scott said, we weren't able to be in a physical space together, which I agree with you, is whether it's the team being in a physical space and being able to hash things out in the moment or being in a physical space with your client and being able to establish that trust and walk them through what can go wrong, what might go wrong, how we'll be prepared for it, um, that it, missing that was something that couldn't be fixed or replicated. and honestly, as I'm getting back into live and seeing my clients face to face, I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's, you, you could just get so much more done um, more succinctly. But 24G and Czar certainly developed uh, relationships across the business that, you know, we couldn't have gotten through it without, without you guys. So we, we appreciate that.
0: Oh, good Sorry time. if I yelled good at times. you. <laughs> there was never, you were never, yelling. I think I might've been the one yelling. We'll we'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> I do want to talk, Betsy, about um, just your own career because like, well, what's really interesting to me, you've, you've done a lot of different things. Um, you've, you've become um, so knowledgeable in all things experiential, all things event and now virtual events as well. And the hybrid uh, component that will come out of that era. Um, but, but you're, path to this was circuitous i'd love for you to tell me a little bit about first of all how how you came to zarnowski but like what is it how does one create a career around experiential and and how did you do it
1: well that's you you really eked it out i'm the jack of all trades master of none (laughs) um and uh no i i actually i consider myself a, a a generalist um and that does come from, from trying a lot of different things. My undergraduate degree is in production design. I worked in the film and TV industry in Los Angeles for several years. Um, that lifestyle wasn't, wasn't what I wanted. And so I continued and, and took sort of that theater background and went into some live events and shows. Um, I did that for quite some time. And uh, then I worked more back on the video content side. Worked for on the agency side internally for certain companies. I worked my my most pivotal shaping job that I ever had was that I worked for Mattel, the toy company, and I worked in what they called their worldwide trade show uh, services division, um, and eventually ran that division. And it was um, it was a it was a trade show division, but it was everything. It was basically their in house experiential agency as well as their content agency. So we were doing everything from. You know, world record stunts building six story high, you know, versions of their of their Hot Wheels tracks and running real cars through them to, um, you know, to toy shows, huge gallery toy shows in Nuremberg, Hong Kong, um, all over the world, Mumbai Um Then shooting content, um, creating road shows, Barbie is moving, um, doing (laughs) partnerships with Chevy to create a real size Hot Wheels that was a limited edition Chevy vehicle. So roller coasters, branded roller coasters and and, uh, uh, theme park environments that were all Mattel branded or Mattel brands branded. So that was really the place where I was like, oh, I'm taking a piece of my knowledge from here adding it to a piece of my knowledge from here, adding it to a piece of my knowledge from here. And I think that's what we're really doing at ZAR because we're, you know, ZAR initially was a truly a trade show, exhibitry design and build. In the last 10 years, we're evolving into what we call the collective. And the collective services our clients on such a variety of verticals, um, content creation, digital, uh, virtual e- events, corporate events, brand activations, branding, true agents, creative agency and advertising work. So now we have all these verticals and actually that's, I think what makes me an asset to ZAR is that I've kind of touched on every, I know enough to be dangerous about everything. Um, Uh, Generalist producers particularly are undervalued these days. People think, oh, I didn't focus on this one thing, so I'm never going to be, you know, excel in the industry. It's like, I tell my producers, that's the absolute opposite of the truth. Learn enough to be dangerous about everything, because ultimately, and and now, especially post-pandemic, everything's layered everything's going to be layered. It's going to be a live event. There's going to be digital. There's going to be virtual. There's going to be content creation that goes into that. There's going to be graphic design and show running. I mean, actual live event show show calling. I mean, there's just so much technical expertise, all of those things. You you have to, if you really want to be successful and experiential, at least on the production side, but I believe on the creative side as well, because creatives, you can't be an effective creative unless you understand a little bit about how it gets done. Um, So I really feel like becoming a generalist is the, is the, what I would encourage people in the experiential industry to do know enough to be dangerous about everything.
0: Uh, that's great advice, Betsy. And, and you're a hustler, um, that's for sure. And I think everybody sort of feels that your business is sort of built on hustle. And um, you have to be able to be nimble and move in whatever direction is called for. And you have to be able to do it um, without necessarily showing y- yourself breaking a sweat. And uh, you do that really well. And uh, it's, fun, it's fun to work with you. And, and I, I loved going through the pandemic with Zarnowski. And I especially like working with your whole team um, that really... Um, that means you're busy and you have another meeting, and we're gonna have to let you go. <laughs> no, that's, no, I'm sorry, that's that my that's
1: my 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah I, I I catch that. That's a good cue for us. But um, uh, but I really loved working uh, with you as well, Betsy. Um, you just had that sort of uh, joie de vivre throughout the whole thing, and I know we joked about like you know the tensions, but it was it really was uh, I think salvaged by the fact that you're just one of those hustlers that knows how to just navigate around problems, and if you're in it, how to get out of it quickly, and that that was what I think was so fun to work with you guys at Czar.
1: Well, thanks. And I feel the same the same way about you and your team. I think ultimately, um, and this goes for no matter what kind of work you're doing, if you don't enjoy the people that you're doing it with uh, it, it, especially in, in in a quick, fast paced industry like this, where there is such high expectation. Um, then you're sunk. You have to enjoy the people that you do. You have to respect them, and so I appreciate that compliment. And 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 you you do have to work hard. You, it, that never ends. Like whether you're managing a team of people that are doing things, or whether you're one of the doers themselves, or whether you're strategizing about how to Im- engage or you know deploy that team. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a fast paced, demanding industry. And like you said, you have to be ready to hustle. So. I guess I. If I didn't, I always tell my husband, if I stopped, I'll die. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, we'll so, run with you. We look forward to like the next, uh, the next phase of our of our partnership. Uh, and in the meantime, I, I want to thank Scott Lemels, our CEO, for being here. Betsy Matt, uh from Zarnowski, thanks so much for joining us today. And for everybody uh, who's watching, don't forget you're watching Transformation Alley by Twenty Four G. And you can follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram and uh, Facebook and, and all those great social platforms. We hope you do. Betsy, thanks again for joining us today. really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me. Fun to talk to you guys again. I hope to see you in person soon. Yeah,
0: come visit us in Detroit.